0: I didn't really know where to stand, so I just, hey, church, how are you? Thank, thanks for being here. It's been a great morning. Thank you so much, team, and uh, everyone who's involved in the service. I appreciate that. Who is, in your estimation, who is that person or that group of people who have perpetuated the most evil in our community or in our world? Who would you think that is, person or, or a group of people? Who has created the most damage with their actions or their words? Who is the most notorious sinner in our community? Who is capable of owning that title, notorious sinner? These questions are designed to help us reveal to ourselves who we think to be the most responsible for the evil that we actually witness and we experience within our community or within your life. And once you have that person or people group in mind, think about how you would react to them if you were to see them walking towards you down the street. What would you do? Would you yell and scream, letting them know how much you hated them? Would you resort to violence, maybe even attacking them? Would you pull out your phone, videoing yourself attacking them, and then post it to your favorite media page? Do you think you'd ever even invite them to church or share a meal with them? Would you go out of your way to invite them into your home to get to know them? I need you to go there with me in your mind this morning, and I want you to be honest with yourself about how you personally would react to seeing the most notorious sinner of our community walking right towards you down the street. And then, once you've got that, I want you to contrast that with what we just read about how Jesus interacted with Jericho's most notorious sinner. His name was Zacchaeus. Here's a big idea this morning. Here's a big idea. Jesus came, it's the last verse of the story. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Yes, even the person you hate the most. Even that person as well. Contrary to what we may think or what I may think at times, Jesus came into the world not only to be a good teacher or a moral example, he did not come to teach some earth-shattering ideas about how to heighten your sense of spirituality, and he did not come to end the world to be a human example of the perfect religious life. He is the eternal Son of God who came into the world to seek and to save those who are doomed because of their sin. This is the message of the entire Bible, every page, every story. This is what we call the good news at our church. This is called the gospel. You may have heard that word. That's the entirety of the Bible is the good news of Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to this life-changing message, and everything in the New Testament explains the life-changing message that the Son of Man, it's a term for Jesus, it's what he called himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so here's what that means. Jesus came to seek and save those who are considered to be the worst of the worst in our society, in our community. Throughout the Bible, you'll find stories of God saving a murderer, a serial murderer, (laughs) a thief, the unfaithful spouse, the liar, the cheat, and we could go on and on and on with that list. You open your Bible, and that's what you will see God's saving those people. But even if this is great news to us, which it is, we, we, we really like this, don't we? We like this because we want God to save us as well. It's, it's hard for us to connect with these examples. It's difficult to connect our lives to those who have done horrific things. Now, no doubt there are plenty of you who have lived through difficult, dark moments. Things have been done to you, have done some wretched things to other people. But the majority of people here, I would guess, The majority of the people here doesn't see their sin as that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But the word of God is very clear, very, very clear. No matter the level of evil you consider to be sin in your life, all sin is first and foremost an offense to God. All of our sin is offense to God. And all sin and every sinner deserves the judgment of God. That's what the Bible says. Yet, God the Father, we've talked about this before already in our service, sent his son, his one and only son in the world, to seek and save those who are lost in this sin. We're all lost in our sin before we meet Jesus. He came to seek and save the murderer. He came in to seek and save the perpetual liar, the unfaithful person. Jesus has the power to forgive the person who sells children for money. And the person who is living with their boyfriend or their girlfriend, yet not committing themselves to covenant marriage. You see both sides of the coin. Jesus came to save the kid who eats Halloween candy for breakfast when he's not supposed to. I wrote that in later, like on Friday. (laughs) Yeah, I had some experiences. So we have five trick-or-treaters. So if you feel like you got too much candy, you don't know nothing, okay? we got like 42 pounds left. But Jesus came to save that child as well. And he came to save the person who breaks into your home and steals all of your possessions. It doesn't matter how deep the sin is. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Whether you like it or not, what the Bible tells us is that this means Jesus is equally as passionate. Jesus is equally as passionate about saving your children from their sin, as well as saving the most notorious sinner in our city from their sin. He's equally as passionate about that. He is equally as interested in saving the the presumably most innocent person you know and the most guilty person you know. And this is good news. This should excite you. And so it is with this man in Luke 19. What the story reveals to us is that Jesus located Zacchaeus. That's how we're going to read through the story. We're going to look at how Jesus located him. And then Jesus called him by name. And then Jesus pursued him with his salvation. We start in verses one and two. It says "He entered Jericho." This is the gospel writer Luke. He's the man hired to investigate the person of Jesus. Luke writes, "Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through." And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. This man with the funny name is known as a chief tax collector, according to our story. Chief, Chief tax collector of Jericho. Uh, the city Jericho was a very wealthy city. It was actually referred to as Little Paradise at one point. The Little Paradise over there. and It was a perfect place for the military to set up shop, for many commercial investment opportunities. People were coming and going all the time. It was a place you wanted to be to make some money. It just happened to be down the road from Jerusalem, where no doubt many Jews would pilgrim to and from in order to worship. Where many Jews would walk that way in order to go to their temple. It was a perfect location for a tax collector to set up shop. I also want to add that in Luke's gospel, this is the sixth reference to Jesus interacting with a tax collector in his gospel. Six times. It's clear that Jesus was on a mission to intentionally interact with those whom society had deemed to be the worst among them. Let's look at the tax collector title. In short, a tax collector, collector... getting super excited already i'm not even five minutes in a tax collector was hired to collect all sorts of taxes from the common people by governed by the oppressive roman government and the strategy was to hire someone within the jewish community who they were comfortable with and then ask them to go interact with their own people and collect the taxes someone who knew the local routine and all of the laws and so we see zacchaeus filling this job description When Zacchaeus received this title, he was immediately known as an outcast and an enemy to his people. This would not have been well received. He was a sellout. He was barred from his place of worship. He forfeited all those existing social relationships. He wasn't even invited over for Thanksgiving or Christmas. He no longer celebrated those birthdays with his friends. He wasn't invited over for Sunday night football. He was pushed to the side. All of this was done once he took that job of being a tax collector. And this is because his job would have been a slap in the face to his friends and his family and all of the Jewish people combined. And also, as his position in tax collector, he would have inevitably been cheating people out of more money than what they should have been paying. He could have collected as much money as he wanted to, and they often did, which is why they're known as sinners, sinners. As long as he just paid the Roman authorities, what he was supposed to pay them. He could take a little bit for himself. He could enact a new different kind of tax that whenever he wanted to. And not only was he collected taxes a form of a, a, a way to fuel the Roman occupations, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was the commissioner of the taxes, meaning he was at the top of the top of the pyramid in Jericho. He was the man, which is the, why the Bible says he was rich. Remember, the Son of Man came to seek and save men like Zacchaeus, men and women just like him. Yes, even the most notorious, well-known criminals, that is who Jesus came to seek. So Jesus is entering this town now, and the people are starting to gather. The crowds are assembling. and He's made quite a name for himself at this point. And for some reason, Zacchaeus desires to see the man they call Jesus. He desires to see this guy. And we don't know why he desires to see Jesus. It may be because he's curious to see this miracle worker in person. It may be because he feels guilty about his current lifestyle of cheating people out of their money. Either way, Zacchaeus makes the decision to climb a tree in order to get a glimpse of this man he has heard so much about. Not in my notes is I won't tell any short jokes, although I was going to back in my notes. (laughs) Because he was small in stature, and some of my dear friends are small in stature. But what I think is quite amazing is that Jesus knew exactly who Zacchaeus is. He already knows who he is. And he knows exactly where Zacchaeus is located. All the crowds, all the people walks right up to that spot. He's like the first Google map, isn't he? Like before it went to you, told you to go to the wrong place. He's like the final perfect version of the first Google map. He knows exactly where to go. Jesus knows exactly where to locate that man who he is about to save from his sin. God's always on a mission. I love that part of the story. God is always seeking, always searching for lost people. Jesus locates the man he desires to save, and then he calls him by name. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus? I don't have a Jesus voice, I'm not sure what he sounded like. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Right away, this verse reveals the sovereignty, the power, the control that God has over all of creation. He knows where to go, He knows who's in that tree. Jesus and Zacchaeus had never crossed paths before, they had never met. They were introduced by a friend of a friend. They had never gotten together and been in line at a Starbucks. They'd never passed off the card at Aldi parking lot so you don't have to go put your quarter back. You guys know what I'm talking about. But listen to this, Zacchaeus is found by Jesus. Jesus knows right where to go. Here's another thing about Zacchaeus, it's his name, which is pretty ironic, means innocent. It means clean, it means pure, and it means righteous which is quite ironic considering his choice of life and considering his reputation. See, Zacchaeus is known as unclean, not pure, sinful because of his lifestyle and his career. Therefore, his people would have not ever received him. It was over for him. Unclean people were not welcome in their homes. So Zacchaeus hung out with the outcast crowd, it says, those who were publicly proclaimed as unclean people, sinners, Here's what gets me excited about the Christian message, and here's why we do what we do here. Here's why we love to open the Bible and listen and learn is because uh, Jesus restores this man's life to reflect the true meaning of his name. I think that's great. Jesus restores this man's life to reflect the true meaning of his name. You need to know that in the beginning, mankind was not created to be unclean. That was not the original attempt and design. Our original design was to be clean, pure, innocent. In fact, it's so different from who we are today, we can't even imagine what it's like to never sin, or never break a law of God, or never let him down, or never blaspheme his name. It's hard for us to even get there of what that life would even be like. But we were designed to walk and talk with God in pure righteousness. But because of our rebellion towards God, those first people, Adam and Eve, our rebellion towards God, we we all live outside of purity. We're not pure any longer. We're known as sinners. Rebellion and, and darkness is our nature. It's who we are as people. And if you don't agree and if you have an objection to that, watch the news for four minutes. You will quickly turn it off doesn't take long to realize that the the world, there's something wrong. Certainly, this was not the way it was supposed to go. And we know that because we don't like the way it is. We're all lost until Jesus calls us home. And this is the significance of the why Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. He restores the true meaning of his name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree and bring me to your house. This would have come to a shock at first Zacchaeus and everybody around him. This was a shock. This would have been the first time any honorable, clean, and respected person would have entered Zacchaeus' home since he took that job as tax collector. The very first time. Church, I don't know about you, but I yearn for God to call me by name. I think we all desire for God to call us by name. And everything that we do in search in life, and everything that we come across stuff, if it's ever not a healthy, righteous thing, according to the Bible, all we're doing is attempting to earn God's love so he will call us by name. That's what we're searching for. That's what everybody is searching for their entire life. That's what's missing in our life. Void, void of a relationship with Jesus, we live alone, we live isolated, shamed, scared, angry. We can go on and on and on with that list. And that's all because of our sin. That's all because of the darkness of our nature. But the good news is this, that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to call us by name and save us. Even, some of you right now are going, yeah, but you don't know me. Listen, even the worst of us. Even the worst of us. The ones with the darkest past. The ones with the secrets that they don't even want to tell their spouse they're so dark. He even came to seek and save you. I hope you sing really loud when we're singing, by the way. By the way, didn't the team did great this morning? They did a great job. I hope you sing loud because if you're a Christian, this should really hit you. This is why we sing. This is why we praise God. Because of the fact to know that God saves even the worst of us. Yes, even me, the worst sinner in the room. Just as Zacchaeus climbs up in this tree, so you at some point in your life, or maybe for the first time today, you desire to see who Jesus is. Some of you, that's why you have been coming here for so long. You're curious. You're curious to see who Jesus is. Who is this man that the entire world is talking about? In all sorts of different ways. Maybe for the first time today, you desire to see who Jesus is. Rest assured, the only reason... You seek to see who Jesus is because God is calling you, and that is the truth you need to understand. You see, it's not your decision to go and seek Jesus, and that's a good thing because we want God to be in control of everything. Isn't that true? If we serve a God who is not in control of all things, and I don't know who we serve, that wouldn't be a God. God once told his people, you will seek me and you will find me. There's a lot of promise in that. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, and then again, seek me and live. And then again, seek first the kingdom of God and all the righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is good news that when we seek Jesus, he will respond and find us. So although Zacchaeus was living far from God, he was not outside the possibility of being forgiven by God. It's really, right. that's a great thing for us at this church because we exist to reach people far from God so they would meet Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's what we're all about. People living far from God. People not living in a relationship with Jesus. Here's the main point of the story. Get the big idea. Talked a little bit about Zacchaeus and why he's so horrible. Main point. Much like Zacchaeus, your neighbor is seeking a new life. That's the main point. Much like Zacchaeus, your neighbor is seeking a new life, so introduce them to Jesus. This is week three of basically four messages. The overall theme is love thy neighbor. As a church, we want to get better at loving people just as much as we love ourselves. We want to fulfill the second commandment. God says there are, Jesus says there are two commandments that the people of God need to live by. Number one, you need to love God with everything that you are, heart, soul, mind, strength, and then you need to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. To love someone just as much as I would love myself. I think the main way people do that is to introduce them to the God that they worship. It's the main way people can love people just as much as they love themselves is to introduce them to the Jesus who saved them. I think we often think that if we love our neighbor well, it's to offer them something that will help them within this life. Something physical, a warm house, warm clothes, food, and that is amazing and we should do those things. The Bible encourages those things. When in reality, the way in which you love your neighbor best as yourself is to invite them into something you already have. That's a relationship with Jesus. Now here's why this begins to create a problem. Because we tend to not want to live in this way, don't we? We get ashamed of what we know, what we worship, and what we believe. There's another part of the Bible where a man says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news. So much we walk around in shame, don't we? We don't want to tell people we worship Jesus because of the looks and the attitude that we might get. I'm with you there. Just because I'm up here doesn't mean I'm much different than you. (laughs) I understand it. We tend not to love people in this way because it takes physical sacrifice. It means you got to open up your life. It takes emotional energy. That means you have to prepare to love people who are not like you. Yes, even those people that you're thinking about right now. Who you actually go out of your way to not love. It takes a lot of patience when you invite them into your home and their kids draw on your walls. Things like that. No one's kids here do that. Church is amazing. It takes sacrifice. You have to be intentional about loving people the right way and introducing them to Jesus. But when you look at verse seven, right, what we learn is that, and this is a warning to you and to I, if you and I do not challenge ourselves to invite others into our lives for the reasons of telling them about the man who saved us, we risk becoming this verse seven grumblers. We go from being happy and joyful that we will not taste or see the judgment of God And we quickly go to the verse seven grumblers. Look at verse seven. And when they saw it, what did they see? They saw Jesus look up at a man who was the most notorious sinner and criminal. Everybody knew Zacchaeus was stealing money. Nobody could do anything about it. They hated him. Don't come around us anymore. You're wicked. Jesus walks right up to him, looks up in the short tree because he's small in stature. He looks up in the tree and he says, come down and come over to my house. And what was the response of the people? The righteous people in the community? What was the response of the church or the true worshipers of God in that community? He has gone into be a guest with a, a man of a sinner. They all grumbled. I can't believe that. Good job. Those who were grumbling are those who live safely. Get this they already live safely within their morality. That's why they're grumbling. They thought that if they just stayed away from all the immoral people over there, God would approve of their life even more. They lived this way because they thought that through, oh, this is so important, they thought that through their morality that they were saved. How many of you think that today? If I do the right things not say the wrong things, and not do anything that society looks down upon, then God will love me even more. Morality does not save has not saved anyone, will not save you. And you can't even offer it up to God as like, I'm pretty amazing, what do you think? It'll all be burned up. The only thing left that will remain when you face God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's it. So the grumblers, you know why they grumbled? Because for their entire life, they've done all the right things. And the good teacher, the miracle worker, The nice rabbi with the flowing white golden hair and the nice beard who's floating off the ground one inch, right? That kind of Jesus. Just joking, he's not in there. He didn't go to their house. He went to the sinner's house. I can't believe he went in there. Doesn't he know that God desires morality? That God desires for his people to look like us? All the people who make the right decisions and don't ever mess up? But let me explain, because yes, God certainly has standards, does he not? There's a lot of do's and don'ts in the Bible, just so you're aware. There still exist. There are still things as the church and as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are things we ought to do and things we ought not to do. That is true. But what God also says in the Bible is that all those who are passionate about his standards and his laws should be equally as passionate about showing grace and mercy to a dying world. That's what they're all designed to do is to draw people in, not push people away. Your morality is designed to push, draw people in, not push them away, which means you have to have a lot of grace and mercy in your life. It should be pouring out of you. Now, these people didn't get it. So yes, as a church, and as you, here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's what we will always encourage you to do. We will eat with sinners. We will eat with them. We will associate with them. We will live among them. We will live among the outcasts, the morally corrupt, the dirty, the broken, the desperate. We will go and seek and search and live with and do life with all of those people. We will invite them into this church every single Sunday and every event that we have and everything that we do, we will want to have people who don't know Jesus among us. That's who we are. I don't want to be a verse seven grumbler. Blah, 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 blah. 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 And we do all this because, here's why. Here's a really important thing. We we live this way with people who don't feel like they belong because we all once did not belong. Do you get it? See, at this church, we didn't earn anything God has given us. You're actually not here worshiping God because you were that awesome. You're here worshiping God because he knew you, he located you, he went up to that tree and found you and called you down, and he made you his. That's why you're here. So how in the world are we ever going to go out to that world and act like we're better than them? We're not. Because when you do, you will become a grumbler. I won't do that again. Church, have you forgotten? If this is you, and you tend to shy away from people who are not like you because they're doing something wrong, they're not making the right decisions, they don't look like me or talk like me or treat their children like me or spend their money like me if you forgotten how merciful God was to you when you met him, God, I wish that we'd be merciful like that all the time to people who don't know Jesus. We were all once enslaved in our sin. So when you reach out to those who others will not reach out to, by the way, this is what will happen. Get ready to be misunderstood by the people around you. Just be okay with it. Be okay being misunderstood by other people who don't understand why you'd want to associate with that person. Just live with it. Just be okay with it. And then may the pressure that we're supposed to conform to some sort of societal norm never throw us off of our mission to reach people for the kingdom of God. See, that's the other thing. All those grumblers come in. They start grumbling, i grumbling. They throw us off our mission, don't they? We start focusing more on what they're grumbling about so we could like, either deny what they're saying or get sucked into their grumbling fest. What do we do? We've just wasted a whole bunch of time seeking and saving lost people when you associate with people in the most notorious sinners of our community like Jesus did with Zacchaeus be ready to be misunderstood because it's going to happen it's going to happen that's okay we're not ashamed of the gospel i'm not ashamed for 1 minute that i was just as bad as Zacchaeus but god called me home through the person and work of jesus christ i'm not ashamed of that jesus alters one man's eternity forever and they grumbled Here's the other thing about the grumblers. Uh, these grumblers thought that true religion was a religion of do. Well, you got to do certain things. And Zacchaeus isn't doing that stuff, you know. He hasn't done it for a long time. The grumblers thought true re- thought it was a religion of do. I don't know if I could duplicate this in the second service. Because that's not in my notes. <laughs> Those grumblers, it's like, got to come to the nine, right? So... The grumblers thought that the true religion was a religion of do, which is why they grumbled. Because they, because they were so upset, the famous teacher wouldn't eat and recline with them. He was eating and reclining with the sinner. Church, what if we lived this truth out every single day? That Christianity is not a religion of do; it's a religion of it's done already for you. Is not that true? The grumblers thought Zacchaeus isn't doing the right thing. How dare the Son of Man go and eat with him? And Jesus is over there going, I've already, I'm i about to do all the work. Just wait till I go up on a cross and die for you. It's done. Church, you'll never get religion here. And if you do, we'll have to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. Because we will fail. And we may actually treat you religiously. Because no one is perfect in this place. I, as your pastor, will probably fail you at some point. I need you to know that. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to treat you the wrong way. Why? First of all, I'm not Jesus. Second of all, I get trapped into the do part of religion all the time. So do you. This week you actually did. But it's not about what you do. It's about what is already done. They were upset that Jesus would speak to and associate with the most notorious sinner in their community. They disapproved of this relationship. But Jesus must I must stay at the house of Zacchaeus. It's been in the plan of God from the beginning before the foundations of the world were set in place, before, like, gravity was a thing. Right? Zacchaeus was on the mind of God, and Jesus was going to seek him. And so it was with you and you and everyone here that is a believer in Jesus Christ. He knew you before the world was even set in place. And then he came to find you. What What happens next then in the story as we begin to close is what I has been happening all over the world for many, many years, and what we hope happens each and every week at this church when the Bible is opened up. Look at verses, we'll do 8, 9, and 10. 8, 9, and 10. And Zacchaeus stood, I'm going to get back to that, he stood and said to the Lord, that's Jesus, Behold, right now we say, hey, check it out. All right, that's behold, right? Behold, Jesus, half of my goods I now give back to the poor. I'm going to give it to the poor. I'm a rich man. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I have defrauded anything of anyone, that's a little surface level, don't you think? He's like, if I have, right? Everybody knows you have. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it four times what it's worth. He's actually following an Old Testament commandment at this point. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. We're not going to get too much into that. That's a different topic. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is what we hope happens every single week at this church. This is why we planted a church. This is why I tell you all the time to bring your friends to church or to go talk to them about Jesus is because when Jesus has his mind up on seeking someone, they're going to respond by faith and their eternity is going to be changed. Zacchaeus stood. Zacchaeus comes in contact with the Savior of the world and his entire life is changed. Instantly changed. Something I want you to know about that phrase, Zacchaeus stood, I want you to think of Zacchaeus stood in the way that's written as he took a stand. That's that's what it's going to mean. Put it back in its original language. Zacchaeus took a stand. I thought that was great when I read that. He took a stand. It's not like he was just like, okay, God, stood up. No, he took a stand for the Savior that saved him. He took a stand for his new life in Jesus Christ. And it caused him to do things differently than he had always done them before. He took a stand. He restores all that he has stolen. He gives half of what he has to those in need. What once was his aim and passion in life, which was defrauding people out of money and finding his sense of security and all the wealth and possessions that he had in his bank account, that is replaced with a desire to live out this forgiveness by making right what he had done wrong. By the way, that should challenge you because some of us haven't gotten to this point yet in our walk with Jesus. We're not brave enough to get there yet. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more desire you will have to right the wrongs, if you can, that you've done in your life. I encourage you to do that this week. And you already know what I'm thinking about right now when I bring it up. See, the first thing you actually should do this week is the thing that's on your mind the most, by the way. That's a little life hack. Just get it over with and do it. But he writes the wrong. Jesus planned to locate Zacchaeus. Jesus planned to cause Zacchaeus. Jesus planned to save Zacchaeus. So let's apply this now. So, so what do we do with this? The Bible is for transformation. It is, it is for our edification, right? It means it's our encouragement. It's for our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. The truth of the gospel is really good, right? If we talk about the gospel every single week here, that's actually a good thing. You should be preaching it to yourself every day because we need it. Let's not forget we didn't earn our salvation. Tell yourself that every single day and give all the praise back to God for that. Okay, that's step number one. But then also what we can learn from this is some things that we can do once we leave these doors here today. There's some things that you can do differently, okay? So in keeping with the spirit of love thy neighbor as yourself, love thy neighbor, I have two ways to apply this. One is kind of simple. The other one has three parts. So like five ways, okay? Um, but I didn't want to position it like that. Okay, first. First, stop gr- grumbling. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We spend so much time grumbling about who we think is the worst sinner among us, don't we? we spend <laughs> We spend so much time. That was a spirit. We spend so much time grumbling about who we think doesn't deserve Jesus. Listen, friends, I know what you're thinking because you're just like me, okay? We get pretty high on a moral horse, don't we? I don't know if that's a phrase, but, but we do. We spend so much time grumbling about who we think is the worst singer among us. For some of us, it's the Christian. You guys are the worst. Stop it. Religion needs to go. It's the Muslim. It's the atheist. It's that group who wants to abolish abortion rights. It's that group who wants to support abortion rights. They're the worst. They're making it the worst. It's the addict. It's the homeless people of Kalamazoo, actually. They're, they're, <laughs> it's the group who wants to retain the Second Amendment. It's the group who desires to remove the Second Amendment. Hitting home yet? This is what we're told to do these days, by the way. Grumble about who we hate the most. We grumble about those who voted for President Trump and for those who didn't. <laughs> and then we grumble about President Trump. It's for those who wish Hillary Clinton would have been won the election. We think the worst person is the white people or the brown people or the black people or whatever shade of color we want actually want to tell people they are. We grumble against CNN because that's fake. Oh, by the way, so is Fox. We grumble against them too. We think it's the people who live below the poverty line. Oh, actually, it's the uber-wealthy, it's the Zacchaeusists who've never even, they don't even know where the poverty line is. They're so rich. Friends, we grumble so much about the people who we don't think deserves to meet Jesus, don't we? Can we change our minds this week? Even if it's for an hour, that would make me so happy. Because I had to challenge myself. Remember, I write this first, so I'm convicted first. I'm just sharing my heart with you. On Wednesday, I was like, I do act like that, right? So we grumble so much. We spend so much time grumbling, we get thrown off of our mission to introduce people to the man who changed our life. Number two. So let me, let me finish that one. Stop grumbling, start loving your neighbor, all right? Second, help people live a forgiven life. Help people live a forgiven life, okay? Your world, your community, your city, which we all love so much, this place that we live in, this place will begin to change just like Zacchaeus did if we help people live a forgiven life, which means this. Number one, locate someone who needs to meet Jesus right now on your mind, right now. Maybe it's you. Someone here, they don't know Jesus. You're not walking with Jesus. You have yet to tell God, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner, and I know that the only way that I will be saved from your judgment and the place called hell for all eternity, and the only way that I will ever desire the true things of God is to confess my sin, walk with Jesus Christ. Some of you are here, haven't done that yet. Oh, my word, that's why I get up here. I would plead with you that you would pray out to God, cry out to God for that this morning. All the other of us, the other people, we need to locate someone who needs to meet Jesus. That's what we need to do. A friend, a family member. I know they've been on your mind because you want to give them what you have. Locate them. Number two, call them into a relationship with you. This is, this is important. Call them into a relationship with you so that you can introduce them to Jesus. Street preaching does work, actually. It does. A couple of famous people were saved by street preachers. Now. Today, you're not going to get much play, all right? So what you need to do is you need to invest. That's why it's so demanding on the life of a Christian. We talked about it earlier. You have to give up your physical time, your emotional time, some of your money so you can buy more food to feed them and invite them over. It's going to take a sacrifice of your time and your comfort to invite people into your house over and over and over again. They're going to have to go with you on vacation. They're going to have to spend Thanksgiving dinner at your table when your parents are like, no one comes to my house but my kids. Sorry, Mom and Dad, I got a friend coming. And you're going to love them just as much as you love yourself. (laughs) See how easy it is once you start thinking about how you'd like to give it up, right? Listen, aren't people more important than a Thanksgiving table anyway? They are, right? They still are. Call them into relationship with you so that you can introduce them to Jesus. Be intentional, be sacrificial, number three, and then we'll close. Show them what it looks like to live forgiven. Take a stand. Like my man Zacchaeus, he took a stand. All the sin that ruled his life, he took a stand against it. He said, no more, not going to find a home here. It's not going to happen. There is nothing more that reveals the heart of God to a dying world around us than when his children the ones who cry, Abba, Father, that Nathaniel taught us to do. Nothing reveals the heart of God more than when his children live forgiven and they take a stand. That means guilt and shame doesn't have a place with you anymore, does it? And Jesus paid for that. That's gone. You're not coming in this house anymore. That means all the past failures that I once obsess about have been paid for. And now I realize that the gospel is reshaping my life. You can get on with that. There's no home here. Amen, And that means you can be open and free with your resources and your time and your energy to tell people about Jesus because there's one thing that matters. It's helping Jesus seek and save lost people. That's what truly matters. Would you pray with me? Let's do it.